privilege for uh, me and for our family to be here today worshiping with you again. It's been a little over a year ago that we were able to bring you greetings last time. This morning we bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Chile, and especially those of Longpen Valley Presbyterian Church, where we serve as a family together in Christ's name, really as an extension of you and your body as you support us in prayer and financially and encouragement. So the Lord's people in Chile, thank you for your faithful ministry, both here in Williamsburg, in your region, and around the world, including Chile. I want you to know, as your missionary, I have a perfect track record in at least one area of my life. Um, I have now missed the homecoming weekend at William & Mary for 25 years straight. <laughs> so I realized that was a couple weekends ago, and I missed it, but that's all right. Wouldn't want to break my perfect record, so... Coming to Williamsburg is always a bit of a homecoming, though, since my mom and dad uh, have moved here. And uh, this weekend, I think in the next service, uh, we'll have the privilege of worshiping together with my brother Brent and his family, too. So we praise God for our family, but for you especially, our extended family and ministry. So. In today's scripture, we're reminded that we're all looking for something, that we all need something, whether we know it or not. Sometimes that's the right relationship or a healed relationship. Um, might be at home or at friends or at work or in the family. Some of us are just wishing that we had any relationship in life. Sometimes our needs are short-term, just help me survive this semester, this test, this deadline, this quota. Sometimes they're longer-term, like retirement or chronic health issues or a career or family. Sometimes they're deep and inside. Sometimes our vision of what is our need is a bit cloudy or fuzzy. We're seeking something, we feel like we're missing something, but don't really have a piece as to what that is. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John in chapter 1, verse 35. In today's passage, Jesus asks a couple of his future disciples, as we'll see, what are you seeking? What are they seeking? What are you and I seeking? I invite you to open the scriptures together this morning and to trust that God will show us not only what we should be seeking, but where we can find it. So let's read together John chapter 1, verse 35 and following. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray and thank God for his word. Lord, open our eyes that we might see you today in your word. Move in us that we would walk with you with greater faith. Give us your joy. Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. So you've heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? My mom comes from the show-me state, from Missouri, and I've spent a good part of my life there. They have, I guess, the fame for saying, if I don't see it, I'm not going to believe it. But we do long, all of us have this inner longing for what is real, what is right, what's true. Even if we do find what we're looking for, how will we know we've really found it? Where do we look for the real deal? So I see the mudslinging election ads this season. I say, is that, is that how we know what the truth is? Or do I look to a, a documentary uh, or the latest book to know how I should manage my health or my diet? Some of these things we realize that even in seeing it in front of us or in black and white, it may not be the real deal. But in some ways, yet seeing is believing. It doesn't mean, of course, that we need to believe everything we see. I think we know that, right? But deep down, many times we do know when we found it. We do know the real deal when we see it. I'll give you an example of this. My brother Brent, who will be with us a little later, once told my aunt, as they were sitting across a big bonfire with a big group of youth, he whispered, leaned over, and whispered, uh, whispered to our aunt and said, you see that girl over there? She's like, yeah, the one with the long hair? Yeah. He said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. My aunt asked him quietly, um, does she know that yet? <laughs> he said, no, but she's the one. She said, you might want to tell her sometime. <laughs> but he was right. He had hit it spot on. They've been together for 19 and a half years now. In love, God has revealed himself to us. And the principal expression of this love is in Jesus Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us, as John tells us. And he still invites us. No, he actually commands us, all of us, to come and see. Come and see for yourself. Why do we need to come and see Jesus? The biggest reason is that we need him to come and meet our deepest need to live in relationship with God. He built us for relationship, whether we recognize it or not. We're built to reflect our creator, to worship and to fellowship and to live with the God who made us as we've sung. I know that there might be a few of you here that aren't there yet, that don't agree that getting right with God might be your deepest need. 
If that's you, just stay tuned. I think we'll get to something that's helpful for you. Let's walk together. Did you see the title perhaps in your Bibles today as you followed along above verse 35? Not sure what your Bible says. This one says, Jesus calls the first disciples. Let's walk together with Jesus and his disciples today. Come and see what he has to say to us as well. We'll journey through the passage together first. Then towards the end of the journey, let's see what God might be calling you and I to do. John, not the gospel writer, but the prophet, John the Baptist was doing his level best to be a faithful preacher, to be a herald to God, for God, towards the one he had sent into the world, his son. And our our verse 35 here starts again, again, the next day, John. Well, this really isn't the next day, this is the next, next day. John's been doing this for three days already. He's probably been doing it for many months, but in in this account, John the Baptist has been at this for three days. In fact, the day before, he had that famous phrase. We've sung about it even today. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's, um, we don't have that set phrase in the Old Testament anywhere, anywhere but it would have rang as, as the sacrifice, the substitute, the one who takes the place of um, the place of the worshiper, um, symbolizing forgiveness of sin that we must have to be in relationship with a holy God. So something is special about this sacrifice, something is special on this man. And then again, he says the same thing. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked as Jesus walked by this time. Behold, the Lamb of God. So he preached the same sermon two days in a row. If that's any encouragement to us, uh, you know, maybe not the first time, maybe the second time we'll get it. Yesterday, no one took him up on this offer, at least not recorded here in Scripture, but today they did. Today they did. What does it say? They they looked up and they saw Jesus and they followed him. So they're following Jesus, and Jesus turned and saw them and said to them, Que buscan? Que quieren? Oh, sorry, that's not it exactly. Well, maybe he did. He might have spoken Spanish. But what did he ask? He said, What are you seeking? I might say, what do you want? What are you seeking? Their answer is a little curious. Rabbi, where are you staying? Doesn't that seem like an op? I mean, that doesn't quite match. I mean, Jesus is great at not matching questions with answers, but the disciples are usually a little bit more, you know, on target with that. Where are you staying? What were they saying? We want more time with you. Maybe we want personal time with you. John's been out here for three days saying, this is it. This is the Messiah. We want to know more about that. We want to learn from you. We want to talk to you. We want to be with you. I don't know exactly what was in their mind, but I think it was something along those lines. How does he respond to them? Ah, come back later, or I'll be out here tomorrow. No, he says, come, and you will see where I'm staying. An invitation to spend the day with him, perhaps spend the night with him. Come, stay with me. This is probably more than they hoped for. This is a gracious invitation. I mean, if you have a speaker at a conference, something like that, say, this guy's the real deal. This guy's the expert in the field. You go up after, it's like, hey, could we just kind of go out to dinner and maybe I could hang out at your house tonight? He's like, sure. Come on over. Right? Come and see. They wanted Jesus for something, and they got it. God's gracious response to them. So who are these guys? Verse 40 tells us one of these two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus, was Andrew, who happens to be Simon Peter's brother. 
Okay, so we have Andrew here, who would of course become one of the 12. And we have another disciple. There's two, right? One's Andrew. Who never mentions his name? John, right? John's always sort of in the background, doesn't want to put himself forward. Can't prove it for sure in this passage, but I'm pretty sure it's John. They're always mentioned together. So probably got Andrew and John. They went, they went over to his house. Wouldn't have been great to hear, you know, that little back and forth that day. The scripture does this to us a lot. I think the last time I was here, we shared about two catches of fish from Luke and 5 and John 21. And in Luke 5, we don't get any of the sermon either. We don't get any of the sermon of what Jesus and them would have talked about that day, because that's perhaps not what the Holy Spirit wanted us to know. But we do get the reaction, so we know what impacted them. In verse 41, after they've talked to him, he, meaning Andrews, first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, what? We've found the Messiah, which means the Christ. John's always translating for his Greek readers, say, this is the anointed one. We found him. And that's pretty amazing. We have found him. We know that they were seeking something. It wasn't just a whim. They were seeking him, the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus asked, what are you seeking? Perhaps to test the desires of their hearts. Maybe they were seeking fame or fellowship or position or something else. Just curiosity to be answered. But they were actually seeking a who, the Messiah, the Savior. Probably didn't fully understand that yet, many times as we don't. So Peter, Andrew's brother, comes and says, Jesus looked at him. And, and sort of the text underlying that could go either way, but it well could have been that he kind of looked at him intently. He kind of stared at him, gazed at him, if you will. And what did he say? He said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So that doesn't help you much unless you look at the little footnote in your Bible. And what do those two things mean? They both mean rock, one in Aramaic, one in Greek, or stone. Now, his actual naming will come a little bit later, right, in the scripture. But this is a prediction of that. They're not in contradiction. He's saying, you will be named this one day. Mark my words. You will be named Peter, the rock. Now, in some ways, you might think of it, this is sort of a cruel joke. Peter, at this stage in his life, was anything but a rock. He was like shifting sand, right? Like some of us. But it is future, remember. It's you shall be. You will be a pillar. You will be a leader of my people one day. But first, you've got to learn to be a follower. Let's revisit a little bit. It says in verse 41, something I'd never seen before, before I kind of got into this passage. It says, he, meaning um, Andrew, first found his own brother. Why does it say it that way? Digging into it a little bit, if he first found his own brother and the other person's John, do we know anything about his brother? Okay, that's going to be James. So it's quite possible that kind of hidden in this passage, John not wanting to point his own actions and his own family out, have called Andrew. Andrew's been called, and he called his brother Simon Peter. And it's quite possible that John is the, we know there's another disciple, quite possibly John, and it's quite possible that he called his brother James. Would make sense. We always find Peter, um, uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John in the same breath in the calling of the disciples and the other uh, parts of scripture. Regardless of that, we might have a fourth here in the party. So let's see. The next day, it says, 
The next day, Jesus jumps into action. Again, John was standing. I'm sorry, no, not there. The next day in 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He was near the River Jordan. Now he decides to go up to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. This time it's Jesus doing the seeking. Jesus taking the initiative. He found Philip. He asked him to call him. By definition, he did. Now, Philip and Andrew have something curious about them. When we list out all the disciples, all the apostles, the 12 apostles, they're the only two of Greek names, which is interesting. We don't know if they were 100% from like the Greek area, but they seem to have maybe had some Greek background because later in John, in John chapter 12, you can look it up later, um, we see some Greeks, a group of Greeks that had come up to worship God, coming to, uh, in this case, coming to Philip and saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And then what does he do, curiously? Philip goes to Andrew and says, Hey, these guys want to see Jesus. And then what do they do? Philip and Andrew, the only two with Greek names, go up to Jesus and say, Hey, sir, they want to see you. Why do I bring that up? God is about incorporating all peoples, all nations into his family. And he's built into his 12 disciples um, some of the cultural mix that's alive his day that obviously people feel comfortable coming saying, hey, we're like you and we want to see him even though he's a Jew. We want to see Jesus. So after Philip is called by Christ, he goes right to work. And again, he's saying, remember the first question was, what are you seeking? What do we want? What do we want out of life? Again, we get the, the juxtaposition of that. We found him. Jesus is finding people. In this case, Philip goes out and he finds Nathanael in verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. They live in the same hometown. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. All right. We have found him. So, first of all, we found him. They were looking. They were seeking. Right? Secondly, they saw this coming in the Old Testament. They said, you know, I, my whole Bible, the Bible I have, Moses and the law and the prophets, that's the whole deal for them, basically. They're like, all of the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, pointed to this guy. Come, it's His fingerprint is there. See that? Today, when we point people to Christ, how do we do it? We can give our testimony. The Lord has changed my life. God is the Savior of the world. He's saved me from looking at my own belly button and trying to do the right thing. We, could, we can give a personal testimony, and that's great. But we can also walk and say, come see right here. We're going to see what, what God looks like. We're going to look in his word together. And at Lone Can Valley Presbyterian Church, which is the English name of the Spanish name, that if I said it would sound like blah, 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 so I'll just say it in English. Um, at Lone Can Valley Presbyterian Church, what, we're starting a new thing. We are training all of our church members from just the first sort of, you're interested in our church? Great the very basic initial class, stuff they already know. Six lessons and just the basics of the Bible. And some of them were bored. They're like, no, no, no. Why are we doing this? Because we want you to be so comfortable with these little six lessons that when your neighbor or your friend or your coworker says, you know, I don't get that religion thing and I don't get why you guys think that Christ is really God and I don't think that really matters. You've got six little short Bible studies that you can say, hey, can we get together for coffee once a week? And, and you know, I've been studying the Bible and just these little lessons, and it's really great just to go to God's Word. I mean, you know, whether you believe it or not, let's go and see what it says for itself. And it's been effective. We already have people in church that have never led a Bible study before, never done anything before, over coffee, just sharing from the Word, saying, 
This is who Jesus says he is. Why don't you see for yourself? Some people have never cracked a Bible. They think it's a good book, decent book, or they think it's a bad book, but they've never opened it to see for themselves. So we can invite them to come and see the Lord in those ways, even today. So after that message, we found him. In the Greek, this, this sentence goes like this. Him, that's the first word, and the last word is Nazareth. It's actually not Jesus, it's Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. That's the last word. So um, Nathaniel picks up on that word, Nazareth? That last thing you said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Objection, Your Honor. I don't think so. We don't know why he objected. There's lots of possible reasons. Maybe there's a social stigma. Maybe it was just too small, too backwater of an area. Maybe because there's no mention of it in the Old Testament. Right? There's lots of reasons. We do have some, some prophets in the Old Testament coming from that area, so you could argue that there's some good things that have come out of Nazareth. But for whatever reason, Nathaniel objects. Philip sounds pretty well found, grounded in the scriptures. He probably could have had a nice little debate with him at that point. Okay, here's point one, point two, point three. This could be, dude, you need to pay attention to this. But what does he say? Does he debate him? He says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. That's what he invited him to do, but who does the first seeing? Look with me at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. He saw Nathanael. He calls him a faithful one, one that perhaps is looking for the Messiah. Um, Israel was Jacob's new name in the Old Testament, right? Israel means one who struggles with God, if I remember correctly. Right? And what does Jacob mean? His first name? The deceiver, right? So one commentator put it this way. We could have, Jesus could have been saying, in essence, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. No deceit, no deception. This is, the, this is a good guy. He could have paused and, um, you know, Nathaniel says, oh, wow, he just paid me a compliment. This guy's amazing. I think I'll just be quiet and smile politely and, and shut up. He could have done that. But he's too honest and forthright to be silent, I guess. And he has a question. How do you know me? So he says in verse 48, Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay. Wow, this guy is omniscient or sees the future or something. How did he know I was there under a fig tree? You know, some people say, oh, people used to pray and study under fig trees, and that may well be true. I have no idea if that's what he was doing or not. All I know is he was under a fig tree. What's the important thing here? Now, Nathaniel knows that too, and he knows that Jesus knew that before he had any normal human way of knowing that. He knows this guy knows things. He is omniscient. He is God. So his immediate reaction at that point, his last reaction was Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? His next reaction is what? Yeah, maybe. All right, give this guy a chance. What does he say? He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wow, it's a change. Does that remind you of, you guys have been studying through John, I understand. Does that remind you of any other story a little bit later on in John? Remember somebody else who received supernatural knowledge from Christ of their situation? The woman at the well, perhaps? Go call your husband. No, I know that you don't have a husband. And the one that you now, you've had four, or is it five? I can't remember. And the one you now have isn't, right? 
And what was her response to that? She left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So here, in that, in that passage, Jesus was seeking to save. He was on a mission. He was wanting to bring many people from another race, another culture, men and women to himself, even though this woman and probably the other townspeople there in Samaria weren't wanting to seek the Messiah at all. But God in Christ was pursuing her. And when she realized this, maybe even before she believed, she was moved to invite others to say, come and see if this could be the Messiah. Well, Jesus tells Nathaniel, who was also impacted in a similar way, that he'll see greater things than these. By the way, who is this Nathaniel anyway? We know he's a disciple. We know he's a faithful Israelite. We've already been given that. His name's only mentioned in John here and in the miraculous catch in John 21. Nowhere else. Not in the other Gospels. Who is this guy that comes in at the beginning and the end of this Gospel? How can he be a disciple that only shows up twice? Well, he's always mentioned, there's one person that's always mentioned, Philip called him, right? There's one person that's always mentioned with Philip in the list of the apostles. Who is that? Bartholomew. And Bartholomew was nowhere mentioned in John. So yes, the lawyers out there, it's circumstantial evidence. But it's quite possible, some believe, that Nathaniel is Bartholomew. Don't know, can't prove it. What we do know is he's a disciple of Christ. What we don't know is if he's one of the twelve. But he might have been. It's possible that we got a half dozen here of the 12 called today, all in the first, all in the first day. Actually, the first two days. We've got a couple days going on here. Now, he asks him a question, or does he make a statement? The underlying text could go either way. It says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? That would be kind of a mild rebuke, wouldn't it? Like, hey, you know, just because of that. But Nathaniel doesn't have a lot of context with Jesus here, and Jesus is usually more gracious to that with people that are kind of new to the faith. So I'm going to go, I hate to disagree with translation, but I'm going to go a little bit more with the statement. You believe because I said to you, but you will see greater things than these. The text could go just plainly either way as a question or as a statement. I'm going to go with the statement. You believe. You believe this. That's good. He graciously says to him, you believe. I invited you to that belief. I gave you that supernatural tip that I saw you ahead of time. Seeing is believing, it's okay, come and see. But I'm going to show you greater things than these. What will he see? He'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of, on what? On the Son of Man? Okay, we all know that's Jesus, right? The Son of Man. What is this? What does it sound like? Remember the reference to Jacob earlier. It sounds a lot like the dream where Jacob sees a ladder, right? Descending and ascending with angels coming and going up and down the ladder from heaven. I have looked a lot at this, and I will not pretend to give you an answer on what the specifics of those angels coming are, or even when it's going to happen, if it's coming soon or if it's coming at the end times. I don't pretend to tell you that today. But I think what is clear is that this is an encounter with God, that Christ is the latter, and he says so. He says, that's me. I'm the son of man, and you're going to see heaven and earth linked because of me. I'm that strong, faithful bond between heaven and earth. You want a relationship with heaven? It's with me. And he kind of juxtaposes what Nathaniel said. Nathaniel explained first, you're the son of God. And he says, and I'm also the son of man. The second Adam, the perfect one. So he's bringing this, this, this 
full, I'm God, man. I'm identified with you. Yes, I'm God. I will save you, but I am man. Because of that, I am your Savior too. So why do we come and see Jesus? We need him to meet that deepest need, to live in relationship with God. We all have tons of needs in life. We're all seeking a lot of things. I have a friend in Chile, a man who came to share with me one day a burden of a very difficult family problem. It was a real problem. I felt really helpless to help him. I had a little bit of advice and a little bit of sympathy and comfort, a lot of sympathy and a little comfort for him. But I asked him that day, I looked him in the eye and said, do you, I know you want a solution to this problem. I don't know if that's coming soon, late at all. I don't know when and if that can happen. But I asked him, I said, do you feel like you have a truly living relationship with God? And he said, not, not really. I said, well, would you really? I mean, this guy goes to church, and this guy knows about God, and been around for stuff a lot of times. So not really. Would you like to really know Jesus? I invited him that day to come and see. And by God's grace, he saw. I told him it wouldn't make his problems disappear, but it would put him in the right relationship with the Lord, if he truly believed. And that God's power, his presence, and his grace for every day would be with him. Where are you today? Where am I today? What are we seeking? Do you need him, perhaps for the first time in your life? Then come and see. Come and see that expression, that perfect expression of God, Jesus, the Son, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. Come and see him. He's the only thing that can put us, that can join heaven and earth and put us in relationship with God. If you do know him, as I suspect most of you do, Aren't we sometimes tempted to keep it to ourselves and not invite others to come and see? I think this passage has some patterns and principles we might want to just go back and think about a bit. What do we see happening here? We see John the Baptist, he was like an official, huge, authorized mouthpiece, the last of the prophets, and he is calling people to faith to come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and to, to respond at least, Andrew and John. And then each of them at some point go and get their brothers, whether in this passage or later, but we know that Peter and James both show up later. And then Jesus is out front looking for Philip, and then Philip immediately goes and finds Nathaniel, possibly a friend, and three of these guys live in the same hometown. See what's going on here? There's a lot of relationships going on. Sometimes God, in most cases, I think God uses invitations based on some relationship. The same town, neighbors, friends, family. But we also see, at least in one of these cases, Philip could have tried to argue somebody into the kingdom. But he didn't. He said, you know, you, this is best seen by kind of experiencing it yourself. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. In other cases, we see persistence is a good thing. We, sometimes we give up and say, ah, yeah, I invited that person to church once, or I tried to speak out the gospel once, and nothing's happening, so I, I guess that's just not what God had in mind. But... Aren't we glad God's more persistent with us? It's like John the Baptist is not so discouraged the second day of preaching, and apparently nothing happened. Went out for a third day and said, yeah, remember, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's him. Two came. So for us today, as we invite others into relationship with Christ, it's interesting how God often uses community in both natural relationships like families and supernatural ones. Why do I say supernatural relationships? Do you have supernatural relationships? I do. I'm in a supernatural relationship with each of you. 
God has called the church to himself, united us to Christ, and then us to another. If you have your Bible, you can look with me at John chapter 17 as we wrap things up here. John chapter 17, Jesus first prays for himself, then he prays for the uh, 11 at this point, and then he prays for those who believe after him. I just want to read three verses, 17, 20 to 23. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. We can't physically invite a friend to physically come and see Jesus and meet him and, and let Jesus talk to him. We can't do that today. But we can invite, as we've said before, them to come and see who this Christ is from the scriptures. And by Christ's spirit working in you as somebody who's been united to Christ they can come and see you but not just you your family your community of believers this church your home group maybe even your place of work there's a few believers that they can see a reflection of two or three or four of you that know Jesus and that community witness is greater many times than just the witness of one We've talked about unity in Christ here Love and cooperation is a powerful tool for others to see. It doesn't happen. There's so much disunity, so much discord in this world. To see a community that loves each other, even though they're different. In Chile, we don't have a lot of racism, but we have a lot of socioeconomic division. Some sociologists found more than 20 socioeconomic groups, classes in Chile. People can class you by how you dress, how you talk, where you went to school, where you live, the whole bit. They can peg you. We get a buy because we're you know, UFOs from another country, and they can't peg us as well. They can peg you, and they divide on those lines. So thankfully, God's working at Lonken Valley Presbyterian Church with a Brazilian pastor, and lots of foreigners and others that are just all mixing it up. And we have people rich and poor and everywhere in between ministering the gospel, and people look at that and go, that shouldn't happen. That doesn't happen in our culture. People are impacted by that, by God's grace. I want to say one last thing to us. So not only does God invite us, command us even, to come and see him in initial faith and, and urge us to take with joy that faith and give it to others, inviting them to come and see, but it's not just about the beginning of the journey, it's about all the way through, isn't it? I think Christ invites us to come and see him on every steps of life's journey, in the good and the bad. We're all a work in progress. Look at Peter. Uh, he, he's uh, definitely a piece of work, and like much of us, many of us are, right? We are a work in progress. And as we give our lives in love and service in the hard places, the difficult places, family tensions, maybe in a hard diagnosis that you've received, and strained relationships and struggles at church or work or school, what our family's been doing this whole ministry of science, we've had some bumps in the road, we've had some things that have been hard, and we're encouraging each other to come and see Jesus in this situation. How's God working there, and there, and there? And in the good moments, too. How's God working there? And give grace and joy and give thanks for those things. 
a passage that has always impacted me. I like it better in another translation, but I don't have it available. Read it to you in the ESV. is from Hebrews chapter 2. It says this. It says, Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, Christ, God left nothing outside of Christ's control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Okay, that wins the prize for like the understatement of the millennia. We don't yet see everything in subjection to God. Is that true in your life? It's true in mine. Life is not perfect. It is not all good. Right? We don't yet see that. But what's Hebrews 2 verse 9 say? My other Bible says, but we see Jesus. This Bible says the same, but a little later. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, of, uh, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus suffered as we do. For though he who sanctifies, I'm sorry, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call him brothers. As Jesus invites us to come and see him at work in our lives that he shares in our humanity. Yes, he's divine, but he is also completely human. He gets our struggles. He knows it. And he invites us today and every day to come and see him showing up in our lives. Let's pray. Dear God, wherever we live, wherever we are, whatever our situation, your word is for us. We all need to come and see you in the person of your son, Jesus, every day of our lives. But especially that first day like this encounter, Lord, whether we're seeking you like like these faithful disciples like the Twelve, or whether we're clueless, perhaps like the woman at the well, or like my friend in Chile, Lord. We need you. To be in relationship with you is the real deal. It is the one thing that is most important. Come and show yourself to us, Lord, and assist us in joyfully and lovingly inviting others to come and see you in our community of faith, in our home, in our workplace. And Lord, we need you too in this journey. You suffered and you went before us. You shared in our humanity. You are the God-man. And we need to see you day by day, week by week, in the hard places and in the joyful places. Remind us, Lord, by faith, by grace, that, that we will see you each and every day. Would you open our eyes that we would see you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.